tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we continue the journey to injustice and the story of the IRP-5. As we approach, really, the conclusion of this series, there's much yet to be learned. You're going to hear it on this show tonight. I guarantee you, we will be informative, and we're going to tell the facts as they are. Joined by the IRP5 co-host of this show, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Captain Riddle, 
William Williams, Clint Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Tanik Wright, and the entire AJC radio team. We get ready to take off right now. And there you have it. Thanks for joining us tonight. To all of our listeners across the country, around the world, to all of our social media uh, contacts out there as well, go to Facebook.com. You'll see information out there regarding this show as well as Twitter and most social media platforms to comment and give your thoughts on this show. Um, David, as we get ready to go forward here again, uh, as the continuation, if you will, is where we're at, uh, approaching, hopefully, uh, approaching the conclusion of this story that it might go out to as many people as we can send it to. The importance of the, the latter part of this show, how important is it? Well, as you know, over the past couple of weeks, we unpacked uh, uh, overall that there was no case and the government criminalized our debt, and that was proven at trial. Uh, now we go into the, uh, the, the gross unlawfulness and constitutional violations that took place at trial and ultimately uh, in the appellate court. So uh, I'm, I'm just shocked. I hear people talking about the raid on, uh, on Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago uh, house and, and some of the things that were done wrong there. Uh, yeah. But the reality is that they're crying about it. Many people are crying about it, but the fact is they're crying about it because of the president. What they don't realize is stuff happens every day. It also happened to us. And, and the FBI tactics and the DOJ tactics are not new. This is what these people do. Uh, and I don't care if you're the president of the United States or, 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 or Joe Sixpack, um, it can happen to you. Uh, I'm not saying, uh, obviously, I'm not passing judgment on, on Trump's case, but uh, any activities, uh, unlawful or unconstitutional activities carried out by the FBI and DOJ, this stuff happens on a regular basis. No, absolutely right. Dennis? Yes. If you look at the way, uh, what happened with the case for the IRP-5, uh, you know, how they were raided and uh, how they took banks, uh, took uh, evidence that was truly was, was not on the warrant itself. But when you think about it, when you think about what's, what we're talking about with the IRP-5, we're trying to make sure America understands that it can happen to you. These guys were innocent. These guys were pursuing the American dream, and uh, they ran up on injustice, uh, not only on behalf of the FBI, but also the uh, court, uh, the judge, and the prosecutor. So it just tells you that, you know, hang on, listen to this story. You're going to understand that it can happen to anyone. Samson, you're both. Well, I mean, as we've discussed it over the last few weeks, just to see uh, the development and the heinous actions that have been taken by, you know, whether it be DOJ, whether it be uh, the FBI agents that, you know, stormed um, the business of these men, whether it be, you know, the, the judge that used way, way too much of her, um, I guess, her own agenda in the courtroom. I mean, this whole thing is a complete travesty. I mean, you have, you know, five, again, five professionals in the IT field that were literally doing nothing but trying to, de- to develop something to de- to protect the homeland. And here we now have it where as a reward for everything, 
they get sent to prison for eight years. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing the remainder of the story here and some of the, the, the points that came out in the courtroom. But most of all, like just to, to let the, the audience hear the, the exact amount of injustice that was levied against these men for doing nothing more than trying to protect the, the nation that they love. Well, without question. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, the egregious behavior of this judge, Federal Judge Christina Aguayo, uh, and the AUSA uh, uh, Matthew Kirsch, John Walsh was the, I believe, the head U.S. attorney at that time, uh, the corruption goes at, in all those directions. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, it is our job as advocates to expose that corruption wherever we find it. Um, Clint, your thoughts on this, the importance of this push? Very important. Uh, people should definitely take it to heart because, like uh, someone said before, it could easily happen to you. And we're reminded of the uh, book by Harvey Silverblade that we were one, unaware of before this whole situation started, three felonies a day, how that uh, anyone can be, you know, wake up, go to work in the morning, come back home, and during that time, unbeknownst to them, uh, any law enforcement official, any official in this system can identify three felonies that they've committed during that day without even their knowledge, and pin them on them and indict a ham sandwich. This is the type of uh, system that we're living in. So folks should definitely take it to heart and pay attention. All right. We're going to be back, folks. This is AJC Radio. The journey of injustice by the IRP5. We're in the trial. We're in the courtroom. That saga continues. This is AJC Radio. <laughs> I surrender. I surrender. All right, Tom. Get ready for the day, buddy. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. We have a gun. What's up? We have a gun. Why do you ask that, kiddo? Can I play with it? No. No, absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that. Do I? I bet it looks like one. Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV. But what about the eight kids who get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do you keep it? <laughs> it's hidden. I bet it's on top shelf of the closet, under your sweatshirt. Is it loaded? It's not. I, I keep the bullets... In the boots with the red laces, and the chest beside the bed? I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can you always told me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know. No. No, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready if someone breaks in. But what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I can use a gun to protect her. No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough. And what if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun. Our gun? No, buddy. My gun. But it is our gun. In our home. Happens all the time. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you. But, Dad, you're not always here. Temperatures, which is each hour normal high, about 82 degrees, 5% of the news. Clear skies tonight with a low near 7. Increase.
In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it too. Because some veterans are being left behind. Twenty of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can make a difference. 
There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you were the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dilson. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dan Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Helps people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone can be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As we have uh, spoken prior to the break, the RP5, the journey to the steps of injustice in this country, to these men is absolutely horrific. It's egregious at the highest level. Uh, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, uh, Matthew Kirsch, John Walsh, and all the players involved here. As we now are in the courtroom uh, during the process, we'll pick it up from there, David, and we'll go to the other IRP5 as well. Your thoughts on this process. What happened uh, during this trial uh, to the point where it was absolutely impossible for these men to get a fair trial on any level because every opportunity where information could have been shared with the jury was knocked down by this judge. And again, federal judge Christine Arguello. Uh, and to me, it is more egregious because what the statement or the belief system that they try to peddle here in this country is that you're entitled to a fair trial. You'll have an opportunity to uh, tell your side of the story. That's not the case. And when you walk into a courtroom with a biased judge, biased prosecutors for the government of the United States, uh, it is next to impossible it's not impossible to come out with the verdict that's desired. Uh, one thing you need to know about these men, they were absolutely 100% innocent. There was absolutely no crime committed. There was absolutely no type of um, uh, immoral or ethical behavior uh, issues here. None of that applied in this case. Uh, and we are going to be sending this out all over the country uh, at the completion of this series that people may hear the truth about the RP5 as we seek justice for these men. David, start with us if you can. Let us know where we are right now. Well, last week we discussed uh, the very uh, shallowness and just the government's case that just, just, just lacked any evidence whatsoever. Uh, he didn't prove anything in the indictment, yet um, Judge Arguello, it was evident during trial that she was biased against us. And that, that's not only by us, that's been uh, been been, uh, been provided by uh, third parties, uh, independent uh, parties who've actually said Judge Arguello's bias can be seen actually from the transcript. So imagine if it can be... Uh, extrapolated from a transcript uh what we actually experienced going going 
through that trial and watch her just abuse us along with the prosecutor all the way through the process. Now, uh, we're going to start putting on our case, obviously, as, as we get, begin to step through. Uh, and you're going to find out that Judge Arguello was abused us in a way, uh, violated our Fifth Amendment right against uh, testifying or self-incrimination. Uh, and then she, I got to put it, be frank with you, she lied about what she did. And she wouldn't know, turn over the transcript uh, with proof uh, of that fact. Uh, and what you'll find out is we step through uh, this this trial, and you'll see Judge Arguello make certain statements on the record, but still would not turn over a transcript to prove what she said, claims she said. So she knew what she said. The prosecutor never came to her defense, and we'll be getting into that here shortly. Okay. Along along with a couple other items would be she wouldn't let uh, a key witness testify. And a key witness would have clearly exonerated us even further, but she made sure they wouldn't testify so the jury couldn't get that evidence. And we'll read some of those, uh, their letters to the U.S. attorney uh, and what she did during trial to make sure he did not testify on our behalf uh, to, to guarantee the government uh, a win. No, absolutely right. William, your thoughts? You know, when you watch this, I mean, being a part of it, you saw it. You saw it laid out really easy. But what David said is true. She she sat there. She lied. She basically was the – orchestrated this whole thing. And so when you see this, you know that this element of bias is going on in the court. So it's not fair. You know it's, they're not going to get a fair trial. And she allowed – and I've said this time and time again. She allowed – the prosecution to steer the case in the direction that she wanted to the outcome that she wanted. And when you have this element, you know the court is not fair. You, no one is ever going to get a fair trial when the judge and the prosecution are working together. And we saw it firsthand. And that's what happened. Well, the foundation that's been laid is that they must rule in the in the light most, most favorable, favorable to, to the prosecution to the government and that's that that is such a lie when you have that but the bottom line here is it's something that should never be said so the prosecution of the government of the united states state or federal cases that statement is made i don't know how in the world that the government or the prosecution would not feel very confident if that statement is made that we must rule in the light most favorable to the prosecution or to the government of the United States. You might as well throw out the proceedings then. If I have to rule most favorable to the people who are trying to put me in prison for a crime I didn't commit, and I must rule in light that's most favorable to them? How is that supposed to... I don't even understand the concept of that nonsense or that statement being made in the court. Simpson. Well, you see, I mean, that statement alone right there, I mean, it tells you the insurmountable odds they were against just walking in because the fact of the matter is, like, how much evidence would it, even if they were allowed to bring evidence, how much would they have to, sub to supply just to overcome that burden right there? When in any other court proceeding you hear, the burden of proof was laying, should lay on the prosecution, not on the defense. Well, it, they'll make that statement, but then the judge comes back. It is, it, it, listen to me. The court system of this country right now is what you call a circus. It is a act. It's what it is. 
you can't tell me in one breath it is, it is upon the burden of the prosecution of the government to prove its case. But then you say, however, we must rule in light most favorable to the prosecution or to the government. Mark, that, that, that's the point. It's, you're walking in, first, first off, and I think we've mentioned this before, but it goes without saying to say it one, once again. You walk into the, uh, the courtroom and you see all our names, IRP5, individually named. Versus the United States of America. That's for then you come in, you get, you get this nonsense that if there is, you know, and 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 in sports they say if there's a tie, goes goes to the runner. That's not how it works in the so-called system. They're they're telling you outright, no matter what you do, or even if the uh, prosecutor makes the egregious mistake, we're still on top of that. You're getting uh, excuse the language. You're getting screwed over because you're they're still gonna rule in favor of even when they make a mistake. So that tells you that the, the deck is fixed against you when you're in there trying to, again, our evidence wasn't allowed. We had 300 pieces of evidence to our nine. And we would try to get this stuff. Uh, David would recuse, uh, excuse me, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Dave? When, um, impeach the, the witnesses. We try to get that in. No, not needed. Because she would say, uh, well, you've already done that. But we need that evidence to show in our favor. She still didn't want to do it. Well, we had a judge that really wanted to be sitting at the prosecution table right. and prosecuting us. Right. At one point, the second chair um, with the U.S. Attorney's Office, Sunita Hazra, stood up and went, I object, and then started sputtering because she didn't know what she was objecting to. And the judge said, well, don't you mean you object to this? Oh, yes, yes, that's it. Okay, sustained. Yeah, and see, this is stuff you don't see on television. I've okay. never heard that statement in the light most favorable to the government until I'm in court. Right. I've never heard that. And so you got to look at it from your standpoint. It's like when you're in the defense, that means whatever I just said here means nothing because she's going to rule for the government to say, well, whatever they say has more weight and more power than your defense. So then how do you think I'm going to get in there and have a fair job? You're not going to. That's the way that kind of works. It looks like two clips right now. Uh, uh, some other people feeling like that the number one, why are the RP sticks? Why were they in prison? Secondly, the lack of due process. RP five case. Let's play the clip. The fundamental question I had is why it ended up in the criminal justice system to begin with. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Even if the allegations were correct, it belonged in the civil system, not in the criminal system. So there's, a, there's an example here of overreach by the prosecutors, uh, I believe, in my opinion. In that case that uh, you're referring to, uh, I just don't even think it belonged in the ju criminal justice system to begin with. And uh, certainly they shouldn't be two years languishing in prison uh, for, this, uh, for this allegation when, in fact, there a lot of the facts that I know about the case suggest that they should not have been in, in prison. They were traveling as businessmen, respected businessmen, traveling even abroad, uh, yes. and never did, never were an escape risk. And so, why they couldn't be out on bail, or at the very least, handled through some type of electronic monitoring or something? Why they have to be in prison? I have no idea. Smart as uh, retired Judge Sor Sorokin uh, pointed out when he analyzed the case. You know, when you look at this logically, um, they're basically just saying that they there there was no transcript that included that, and so therefore, you know, too bad you can't get it.
first on appeal, and I assume there's an appeal pending in this case, but um, uh, the, the issue is a due process issue. It seems to me uh, the judge should have um, uh, entertained their motion for continuance, so these defendants uh, in this uh, uh, IRP6 case, it sounds like, were the victims of that kind of uh, philosophy. Bad cases, trials cannot be postponed for any reason whatsoever unless maybe, uh, you know, death of legal counsel or something like that, which wouldn't be relevant here. So I think that's that's the problem, but I think it is. Uh, it was uh, probably prejudicial. I don't know enough about all the different witnesses and what their reasons were for not attending and so on. But but uh, if a case can be made that uh, witnesses could not attend because they were unable to come to this new earlier date, uh, they had established, uh, you know, they had carved out their schedule for a later time and just couldn't possibly come any earlier. Why, that seems to me would be a denial of due process on the part of the judge. But maybe now is the time to file a misconduct complaint with the, uh, uh, is it the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals there in Colorado? Yes, yeah. they do the Tenth Circuit. Oh, I, I would, uh, you know, suggest that maybe that's a route to take if you can get affidavits together um, and make that claim. Uh, it's really unfortunate there was nothing on the record. That's, that's really uh, unfortunate. Well, there you have it. And the two folks there speaking on the IRP-6, first, uh, gentleman Ronald Huff, uh, asking the question, why were the IRP-5 in prison? Uh, Jonah Goldsmith and the lack of due process, ar due process argument uh, made there. And I think what's good to note here, we're not the only ones talking about what happened here that raises high questions of the lack of due process, number one, but all of the arguments these folks just made, this seems very troubling to people when they hear it. And it is clear what Judge Arguello did. But as David will say, and I agree with him on this as well, I'm sure the IRP-5 agree. You're dealing with politics. You're dealing with biases. You're dealing with all types of reasoning. But there are certain things that are so blatant within the legal process, which I believe this was, uh, that it demands automatic action against the parties involved here and for what was done. Um, it, it, just does not, it, does not, it just does not stand to reason. David? Yeah, we'll get into, uh, as the two uh, commentators were discussing, was a missing transcript and judicial coercion. Uh, coercion by Judge Arguello that took place to force uh, us to uh, testify against our will in our own trial. Um, we'll start with uh, a blog by uh, former federal appeals judge H. Lee Sarek and what he wrote uh, in, review of, in review of the case. Um, you, uh, Judge Sarakin started reviewing the case, and he said, usually out of deference to the court's handling of the matter, he wouldn't comment. 
However, he said, there's one aspect of the case that intrigues me, and since this matter has been pending for a considerable period of time while the defendant's language in prison, I thought some general airing might be appropriate. Now, to set this up, what Judge Sarakin is talking about was Judge Arguello, during a sidebar, uh, told us that if us criminal defendants, that if we didn't testify, uh, that she would uh, rest our case. If we didn't produce a witness, we would have to testify or she would rest our case, therefore making it impossible for us to put on any defense. Uh, those statements were suddenly came up missing from the transcript. Uh, Sarah went on to say, resolving the issue should be a no-brainer, right? Look or listen to the transcript, read or hear what the judge said and decide whether or not the defendants reasonably concluded that at least one of them had to testify. But Sarakin says, here's the rub. There apparently is no record or transcript of the conversation available to either the defendants or the appellate court. So this, this is what's going on. Judge Arguello violated our Fifth Amendment right. Uh, we asked her to, she, she said she didn't do it. She also said she didn't know exactly what she said. This is all a matter of uh, court record. So when, at the time we requested the transcript, she wouldn't turn it over. So what we're dealing with is judicial coercion of criminal defendants to testify in, in, their in their criminal trial in violation of their Fifth Amendment, lying about what she said, and then destroying and or concealing a court record, which under the law is, is, is classified as obstruction of justice. And remember, we asked that same day for the transcripts. We went back during the recess and asked that day for a copy of the transcripts because the court couldn't remember it. The court reporter did type this down. So. And, and as, as Sarah can also pointed out, the government's brief that, that he read, uh, where the government said, because nothing in the record other than the defendant's own self-serving assertions supports their claims of compulsion. The exact language used by the district court during the sidebar conference is immaterial. So the government's already trying to cover for the judge, saying that even if she, if, if she told them to testify, violated their constitutional uh, Fifth Amendment right, uh, it's immaterial. This is the government's position. So it's another corrupt act by the government who's supposed to be seeking justice seeking a fair trial. He was not seeking. He was seeking only to win at any cost. And when you look at the, the government's response, the government who was at the sidebar did not say she didn't say that. They never said that. He never came. The prosecutor never came to the defense of the judge and said she didn't say that during the sidebar. Which means he knew she did say it. And he was going to stay silent about it which is equal as to, to me, equal as obstruction of justice. Your failure to speak, your failure to act with something that you witness as an officer of the court, it is your duty to call the judge out on this issue. And his silence spoke an entirely different and language. And keep in mind, this is a conspiracy now. Mm -hmm. uh, the prosecutor joined the conspiracy to conspire with the judge to ensure that this record never came to light. Now, I spoke about what uh, 
Sarah went and translated the government's statement about the sidebar conferences and materials. He translated it to say, this is, there's nothing to support the defendant's position on the record because there is no record. It is an obvious concession by the government that the record before the Court of Appeal does not contain evidence of what Judge Argoyle said to the defendants, which they claim caused them to testify or be foreclosed, or testify or be foreclosed from proceeding with their case. Uh, he went on to say, for the government to suggest that Judge Argoyle's exact language is immaterial is ludicrous, particularly since the court and the defendants disagree on what was said. This, this, and I just want to just real quick, Judge Sarakin is a Harvard graduate, sat on the U.S. Third Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, and knows what he's talking about when it comes to the law. And this is just a simple reading of the transcript uh, and, and, and conclusions from that from that from that reading. Uh, good. Uh... That's good information to know. Um, was any ever was there any complaints filed against the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, as a result of Mr. Kirsch remaining silent at that type of a situation? Is there a formal complaint that gets filed? Not, no, we filed a judicial complaint. Judicial complaint against Judge Arguello, and the issue was presented before the Judicial Council of the Tenth Circuit, Washington. No, it's and actually it's the Tenth Circuit Judicial Council. Yep. Uh, they didn't do anything. But if you look at the history of judicial complaints, almost 99%, almost 100% are always dismissed. Unless it comes from another judge, if, if an average person complains about uh, corruption or some unlawful act, it just gets swept under the rug because it's another self-policing organization. And so the most ridiculous part of that is the American people have absolutely nowhere to turn in the event of an injustice. If you think that the appellate court is the answer, um, it's not. Congressional leaders that we met with in Washington, D.C., just caused it, made it very clear that the appellate court is set up to, uh, to support the lower court. In the state of Colorado, I'm talking the state level, only 1% of cases are overturned in this state every year. 1%. I can assure you, there are more than 1% wrongful convictions in this state than, than the numbers would, 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 would say. So you're not telling me only 1% of the people that get a case overturned in this state, oh, that's the only amount of people that are not guilty. Well, what, what you get from it, and the government gets this air of invincibility. When they talk about the federal government has a 98 to 99% conviction rate. Now, if you were in court and you had a 99% return on your investment, every time you made an investment, you got to return 99% of the time, they would say you're committing a crime. They, that's too good to be true. true. So it's the same, the same would apply here with the, with the federal government, that th these people are almost have God-like numbers. God would be perfect. They're just right beneath God uh, when it comes to prosecuting cases. They don't make mistakes. They get their man, and they always go after and the guilty. That's just simply not the case. Well, we'll go ahead, there. Sadly, we see uh, police officers routinely marginalized for their conduct out on the streets. It's ironic that you never see hear about 
a federal prosecutor or a federal judge ever engaging in misconduct. If I, I would challenge anybody to look back over their life and find any major news story about a federal prosecutor or, or a federal judge engaging in misconduct. It's almost non-existent. And if, 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 it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. It probably happened maybe once or twice, uh, potentially in the history of the U.S. criminal justice system. The fe- in, in the federal criminal justice system, it just does, doesn't happen. So these people, they get a pass. They break the law with impunity. And people are going off to prison. It's like you said, 1%. It's it's sick. It's sick, Dennis. It is sick. One <laughs> percent. I mean, what, I mean, if you're looking at, even if you look at the news, you see all these exonerations. And with these exonerations, you would think that people would start to say, "Man, why, why, why are these people being wrongfully convicted? They're being wrongfully convicted because of a a, a, a justice system that is broke." Anytime you have a judge that should be playing the role of referee and is playing as a teammate for the prosecutor, as in this case, come on, what, what is going on? And then with the transcripts, that's just, that just, uh, that blows my mind every time because how do you lose transcripts? It's, it's, it's almost unheard of, but yet this judge got away with doing it. That's absolutely right. Nick, your thoughts on this one? Well, somebody had made the statement earlier about how, it, I think it was Demetrius, how everything is stacked against you. So the judge has the, the court judge has the prosecutor's back. The appellate court has the court judge's back. The judiciary committee and all these have, you know, everyone's back. So everything is stacked against you. But they tell us as Americans, if you're mistreated, if this goes wrong, you have these places to go when ultimately the truth is you have nowhere to go I mean, really and then don't. that that uh statement that you said to rule what was that in favor of like to, well then why even bother going to court if you're going to rule in their favor why do you go through this whole quote mockery of a court to well you can have your fair trial just go ahead and put them in jail because that's basically what you're saying well the numbers reflect the fact that that's the reality because you look at the conviction rate in this country the overcrowding in prisons all that's done leads uh really solidifies that uh, that that is the case, that they have uh, ruled most favorable to the prosecution. Yes, Yes, David. William, go ahead. Well, to that point, I mean, when you think about it, in the past couple of years, we've had record numbers of exonerations, and and it became a big story. And so, but but the we never saw anybody from the system come out and say, you know, we have to do something about that. The outrage came from, from society. The outrage came from the citizens that experienced it. And so when you think about it, they're going to condi- they're going to continue. They're not going to change this because they have a it's they have this reputation, they know it. And but the judges continue to do it, the prosecution continues to, to work and manipulate the cases the way they want to go. It it's just gonna happen. They're not going to change this. And so, so when you look at this, you say, well, what can we do? Stories like this, people need to grasp hold of and look at, look at this. And this is reality. This is reality that people are living today that have lost a significant amount of time in their lives from a, to a system when they were in. Now, I want to 
take a moment, and I want everybody, if they can, to listen closely to what uh, federal judge, retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin said after his review of the actual record. And this is this is his analysis uh, that how it played out. He said Judge Arguello was frustrated at the slow pace of witnesses and said something to the defendants about the future of the trial during a sidebar. Immediately following the sidebar, the defendants caucus and one of the defendants, Mr. Barnes, then took the stand. No inquiry was made by Judge Arguello regarding the defendant's waiver of his right not to testify. Shortly into Mr. Barnes's testimony, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew T. Kirsch wanted clarification that the defendants were going to testify in any event, despite the problem with witnesses. Clearly, Judge Sarakin says he too was concerned about Judge Arguello's comments at the sidebar and that they might have been misinterpreted as being coercive. Once the issue was raised by the government, upon inquiry by Judge Arguello to the defendants, they were unanimous in their impression of the judge's remarks that, judge, that, that she had made it clear to them that they didn't have a witness, one of them would have to testify in order to keep their defense alive. He said each contemporaneous statement on the record confirms this. Now, he goes on to say, although Judge Arguello denied making such statements, she did not recall her, her exact language when she stated, I don't know what my exact phrasing was. So now the judge is actually admitting, well, I really don't remember what I said. I don't know what my phrasing was. Uh, Judge Sarakin goes on to say the failure to have a record of that conversation must be laid at the feet of the court or the government. The absence of this critical conversation, the transcript of which, which, which was called for and ordered that very day, certainly creates justifiable suspicion. Sarakin goes on to say, strangely, in a separate civil lawsuit, the court reporter, the U.S. attorney, uh, strangely, in a separate civil suit against the court reporter, because we filed uh, a lawsuit against the court reporter to get to get the transcript. The U.S. attorney stepped in uh, to that civil suit, claiming the reporter was an employee of and on business on government business. Uh, judge Jackson, another independent judge in, in the District of Colorado, uh, uh, said that the defendants have a good reason to, to cry foul based on Judge Jackson's findings in the civil case, although he didn't find any skullduggery or any deception, or, or, or he said uh, that we still had a good reason to cry foul. So what ended up happening, an independent judge actually found out that Judge Arguello's statements were missing from the record and that she did nothing to uh, solve that problem. So this is a separate court uh, case that is on file where this judge says, no, her statements are actually missing from the record. What's ironic about that, what she said after that is on the record, and what she said before that on the sidebar is on the record. That little piece where she coerced us and violated our constitutional right is suspiciously missing from the transcript. So this is what we're dealing with here. No record of the transcript, an independent federal appeals judge retired looking at the case and said this is exactly what happened. And so we took this matter to the appellate court, and we'll get into, into, into what they said, which they doubled down on ultimately on the corruption. This is to protect Judge Arguello and the prosecutor and lock us up in prison and keep us in prison. 
Uh, without question. What we're going to do is play race card face up, give you a little bit of insight to the beginning of this nightmare. I'm going to take a break following that, and we'll be right back. One second. David, go ahead. Yeah, the race card face up was a play yes. uh, brought that was done by Judge Sarakin in his retirement to try to bring attention to the case and actually what happened because he was a playwright in his retirement uh, there in California. So, uh, uh, I hope people listen in because this is about the missing transcript and, and, and what we just unpacked uh, yeah. at the court. And this is the, tr the trailer, I believe it is. It's not the entirety of the play. Okay. Uh, but let's play it. We're going to go to break straight from that clip, and we'll be right back to discuss. This is AJC Radio. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything, my business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to decide, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us of these unbelievable events. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and work together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions the name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation 
that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can can be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. 
Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we continue our journey, if you will, to the steps of injustice of the RP5. Uh, dealing with what you just heard, as David uh, introduced it to uh, actually Sarah can play that was written. It was a little trailer there uh, talking about what these men had had gone through, what they had suffered, um, and the injustice. It is it is overwhelmingly. Uh, egregious uh why something needs to be done uh we tell the story because it is necessary that others are aware of the criminal justice system uh and i'm going to take justice out of that the criminal system uh that that folks deal with in this country uh is absolutely at an all-time low when it comes to justice it does not exist uh when judges and prosecutors and all the players at large here are able to get away with such blatant, egregious behavior. Not something you're trying to interpret. Well, maybe it went this way or that way. It is blatant and egregious. It is so blatant you can. It does not seem real that folks are able to get away with such acts of. Abuse is what I call it. Well, well, strangely right now, you hear in the news, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's lost faith in the institutions and the FBI, and they're losing trust in those. It's based on what's happening in, in, in the big-time game of politics. They always, they always say that people are losing confidence. No, people are losing confidence in this system based on what they've seen from – personally seen from the system. You're not going to be able to turn people away. This – this is just what you see in politics, which is rarely happens to somebody. What happens to an average citizen? The type, of, the type of corruption and abuse that happens to the average citizen usually doesn't happen at the high-level political or the presidential level uh, for the majority of the time. That these type of things and illegal acts are reserved average citizen, mm-hmm. and it happens every single day. So nobody can. I don't care what people complain about what happened to Trump or they complain what Hillary did. They complain politically because this is all the news talks about. But none of that stuff 
shocks me. People act like they're shocked about it. That's not shocking. This is the way the government and the justice system works, period. Nobody's 99% effective at what they do, and nobody's that good without doing something illegal. That's just the, just the way, that's just uh, the reality of the system. I agree. I think we got a call on the line. Lamar? Yes. Lamar, this is Eric. Um, back to your, your topic about overcrowding of prisons and things of that nature. Um, I was um, reviewing some statistics in Michelle Alexander's book. Um, and according to this, in less than 30 years, the U.S. penal population has exploded from 300,000 to more than 2 million. Um, we have surpassed um, our rate of incarceration has surpassed almost every developed country, including places like Russia, China, and Iran, which are typically viewed as highly repressive regimes. Um, for mm-hmm. example, Germany, 93 out of 93 people are in prison for every 100,000 adults and children. In the U.S., it's roughly eight times that, or 750 per 100,000. Uh, wow. It's just amazing at how things have just exploded in this country. Um, Versus what other places in the world, and it just speaks to the the, the dilemma, the problem that we can have. No, it's I do agree with that. A business, a business for sure. No, absolutely, and I appreciate your comment tonight, Eric. Uh, listen, yes. he talks about the regimes in other countries being a lot more hard pressed, uh, a lot more cruel, a lot more abuse. But I'll tell you right now. When it comes to the criminal justice system, the United States leads the numbers of cruelty and abuse of power uh, in this country. So you're not on any moral high road. The United States is not. And they'll try to say that the United States just, they're about law and order. That's just simply not true. It's not true. Uh, they're about with uh, corruption. Power corrupts. The United States is one of the most powerful nations in the world. Uh, they have a lot of money, and power corrupts. That's just the way it is, and it's not going to change for them. For the U- and the U.S. will will find itself criticizing plenty of other nations about their their just their criminal justice system. But that's that's the American way. Is we believe just by what we've been told, many of us. Well, we have the greatest justice system in the world. Well. Uh, who told you that? Well, and where and where, what do you base that on? They can, they, nobody can tell you anything on why the United States has the best justice in the world. You ask them uh, based on what? You're going to get complete silence. Well, I'll tell you this: uh, we did a show on the sounds of solitary confinement. To our research, to our production team, let's find that clip uh, on the sounds of solitary confinement. You're going to find out. I want to just play that for that purpose uh, for. You know, I, I think I don't. I think we did a show on this. Uh, we did a show on the air here regarding uh, the differences with the prison system in uh, foreign countries uh, where they're treated as human beings. Right. Uh, you know, they have they have basically an apartment type location. You're still uh, restricted to that. But they, the statement that was made is that we want to believe that these folks that we have locked up here will eventually get back to society. Let's give them every opportunity to norm, to become normal in society. 
if you treat people as animals and you put them in cages and you do the things that this country has been guilty of doing, that is who you produce. Let's hear the, let's hear the clip. Sounds I want you to hear this so you know, to David's point, oh, we want to criticize other countries? We want to criticize what they're doing? Let me let you hear what they're doing right here in the U.S. of A. Let's play the clip. Well, there you have it. The sounds of solitary confinement. Those are in American prisons. And the banging that you hear in most cases are the heads of inmates banging against steel doors and glass. But we want to say, as a society, as a country, that we have the best system. I played that for David's point. That people live in a state of delusion. And as horrific as what you just heard was the conduct of of federal judge Christine Arguello, Matthew Kirsch, John Walsh, equally is troubling because they hide behind a black robe, a a name tag on your desk as Law and order. Joke. And you know what? If I was to, I'm sorry, David. If I was to ask a question today, when you heard that clip, did it sound like humans or an actual zoo? 
where animals have been mistreated. I mean, somebody, somebody tell I mean, me. Mine, it sounds like something straight out of a horror movie, if you want to be completely honest. I mean, you have the different animalistic sounds, but you also have people like cackling in the background. I mean, they literally sound like they're going absolutely insane. And they are. And this, for, for America to try and tout itself as having the best criminal justice system, I mean, I guarantee if you switch the statistics and say, okay, let's go by the percentage of rehabilitation versus the percentage of incarceration, we'd be nowhere near anywhere near the top. No way. Not even close. David? And I, I, I think people really need to understand Judge Arguello, AUSA Matthew Kirsch, U.S. Attorney John Walsh, AUSA Sunita Hasra, and the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals knew we had not committed a crime and still sent us to prison. So that so you talk about the extraordinary cruelty. How do you do that as a judge, as a prosecutor? It's it leaves me almost speechless because it's something I could never do. You know you see the innocence, you see the evidence that the person is innocent, yet you still come together, create this cabal to to say we're gonna put you in prison anyway. It is a very, very sick system. And I can say with all honesty, I don't hate Judge Arguella. I don't hate the prosecutor, Matthew Kirsch. I don't hate any of these people. But Americans need to open their eyes to what this system, the realities of the system, it's not what what's being advertised, that these are quasi-superheroes trying to keep out here keeping you safe. It's just not true. So, yep, too much television, Dave. Well, one of the things that makes this transcript issue so disgusting is everybody agrees that it's missing. Nobody said, oh, there's nothing missing from the transcript. Everybody that has looked at this throughout the court system said, yes, there's obvious missing pieces from this transcript. That should not happen. And when that happens, you have no recourse but to say there's a problem here. We need to look at this in greater detail. And have charges if there is something malicious done, which there obviously was. And well, and Judge Sarakin pointed that out in his analysis. He says the court, neither the court reporter or the U.S. attorney provided an affidavit or testimony of what they recall being said by George Arguello, nor denying what the defendant's claim was. Uh, he said this omission by the by the prosecutor speaks volumes. So nobody said nobody came to Judge Argoyle's defense. The, the court reporter didn't come to her defense. The, these are all the people at the sidebar. Two prosecutors were at the sidebar. Not a single one uh, said we were lying, and not a single one said Judge Argoyle didn't say what she said. You would think if they heard that they knew because what what they were actually scared of was that the transcript ultimately may come out. Or maybe there's an actual audio recording somewhere that might come out to disprove them. They weren't going to take that chance, so they just stayed silent. Well, I think the point well noted is the fact that the the prosecution did not say this is outrageous. These are false claims being made by the defense. Yeah, I was – the prosecutor said I was at the sidebar. The judge didn't say that. Prosecutor never made any any – And that speaks volumes by itself. If – because they are so gun ho on demonizing defendants in a lot of cases, they would have easily said that's not true. 
past outrageous. We ask that you come down or do something to these defendants for making such outrageous claims. The reason it wasn't said, because it wasn't an outrageous claim. It was actually the truth. So rather than speak to it, I'll be silent. But your damage is equally done when you fail to speak. Every single one participated in a conspiracy to make sure we didn't get a fair trial, to make sure we were unlawfully, wrongly convicted, and unlawfully sent to prison. That's outrageous. Dennis, you got something? Yes, uh, this story always gets to me. Uh, I was just thinking about how how much went into trying to prove, uh, you know, what, what had happened to these men. I mean, you appealed it. You went to different judges, went to congressmen, went to senators, all agreeing. Yes, this was wrong. This was a grave injustice. But not one thing was done when it came to actually turning, turning, you know, tur- turning everything around and righting the wrong that was, you know, that these men went through. So it tells you, you, you can't win. I mean, you say I can appeal, I appeal. Nothing happens. You say, hey, contact your congressman. Okay, I contact them. Nothing happens. What is it? it? It just amazes me how much these men did everything possible to prove their innocence. And everybody on the, I, I, as high as a congressman, in agreement, in agreement that they were, they, they, you know, they were wrongfully convicted. But yet nothing happened. These men still serve eight years in prison. Come on. And that's outrageous. That's crazy. That's outrageous. And I think this, the country's at a point. <clears throat> depending, either, it doesn't even matter what political side you're on. You're seeing people that are seeing flaws in how our Supreme Court justice works with the overturn of Roe v. Wade. You have people on the, on the right that are upset with how things are handled by the FBI with, in the case of uh, uh, Donald Trump, the, the, the issue they should see, though, if you're seeing holes in the things that you agree on, you need to look at the whole system. Okay? It's, not, it's not just a, a one political issue here or not. Why isn't it transparent, and why isn't there, why is the law clear on what, is hap- what can happen and what cannot happen? How can you have – you say that we use the transcripts. So that when you appeal, that there is a record, a public record, because you say all all trials are public. Why isn't that? Why why isn't the question the country asking? Why are they, where are these holes at in the system, and why aren't we plugging them? Now you're seeing that there's a problem because now, when it's a political issue, you're starting to see you know what, this Roe v. Wade looked political. The things happening to Trump look political. Depending on your spectrum or where you are in the in the political field, but the major thing it's all wrapped up in the legal system, and that's where the hole is. It's allowed to happen because our legal system has serious flaws and holes in it. We say we're a nation of laws, but where's the law at? Where's the definitive law that every American can look at and say, you know what? If there's a transcript, you need to produce that transcript. If the transcript's not there, this is the remedy. Then this should be thrown out. If a person's constitutional Fifth Amendment right is violated, that should be an overturn of the case. So why didn't that happen in this case? Why are why are there 
why is the country just almost asleep at the fact that you know there's issues with this with the legal system and that these things need to be addressed, or you're going to go down the slope? There's going to be more issues where people are going to be affected by it beyond political matters. But when it it's too late when it affects you personally, when you're up under it, there's very little you can do. No, I agree uh, well, wholeheartedly. And I think uh, I guess you're going to take a break here soon. Come yep. back. Let's talk about. Uh, we sent this to the appellate court. This is the way it's supposed to happen. So we'll talk about this. We're progressing through. We're here progressing now. through. So and we're progressing through on this particular issue, the transcript issue. We'll get to the witness issue after we exhaust. Obviously, that we took this matter to the appellate court and still didn't find justice there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the plot thickens, and make no mistake about it, is it is not a Hollywood production. This is reality has affected the lives of the RFP5, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Clint Stewart. We continue the journey to the steps of injustice. This is AJC Radio. Just get in there, talk about it. I've got to go home. Oh, come on, Jerry. You're going to a new place. Don't be your cousin. She wants to go home, right? Go. Yeah, Whoa, you okay to drive? Yeah, I'm fine. Sure. Relax. What's a few beers? If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, <laughs> you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Excuse me. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. How often does our justice system get it wrong? convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit. A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in the nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bumps every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because they don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we continue our journey uh, to the steps of injustice for the IRP5. David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. Uh, I'll tell you right now, the stuff we're hearing as we are going through this process uh, fairly quickly, but definitely thorough, uh, is the conduct of the court, uh, Federal Judge Christine Arguello. Matthew Kirst, John Walsh, I think it's David, the other lady's name. Sunita Hazra. Sunita Hazra. Um, it just seems unbelievable every time we have this show. Uh, and again, folks, uh, we are going to be sending this out across the country uh, fairly soon. 
that people can see and hear uh, the details of what has happened in this case. Uh, I believe it is worthwhile, as David just said, that the uh, American people pay attention uh, to what's happened here and the how egregious the conduct and the actions of this judge really were, uh, and this entire process, the entire system, um, leaves a lot to be desired. David, pick us up where we were when we went to break. Well, we talked about what happened, uh, obviously, during uh, the sidebar with Judge Arguello. We said she told us we, one of us would have to testify or she's going to arrest our case. That's straight coercion uh, and forcing and a egregious violation of the Fourth Amendment right by forcing a defendant to testify in his own trial. Now, this matter was sent to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, in their opinion, now, they affirmed our conviction and did nothing about Judge Arguello and the missing transcript. But what you're going to find out, what they said in their opinion, is absolutely shocking. We, ha- we, we have a, a system where you have public trials, but if nobody reads, if nobody reads what happened at trial, that's why they're allowed to just continue to do what they do. Uh, in their opinion, the Tenth Circuit panel agreed with Judge Sarakin's conclusion that, uh, that they did not have the transcript uh, or competent evidence to rebut the, our claim of that we were coerced to testify. Now, the court said they will assume for the sake of argument that Judge Arguello actually told us one of us would have to testify if we didn't produce a witness or the judge Arguello would, would rest their case. Now, the 10th Circuit panel engaged in what is probably the most outrageous, in my view, judicial misconduct to, to protect Judge Arguello uh, by concluding that we actually voluntarily testified. Now, just think about that. They accepted the fact that what we say, what we said was true, that Judge Arguello, because they, they couldn't prove it otherwise, that we were coerced into testifying by Judge Arguello. Now they're saying uh, that we actually testified. How can both be true? So and so th- this is how they they spun it. Now during trial, the government came up with this claim that, well, they could have called the FBI agent who was sitting next to the prosecutor because he was on the list, and that our failure to call that FBI agent was a uh, a relinquishing of our rights not to testify, because we could have called him. Therefore, uh, you testified voluntarily. This is the government's claim. Okay, so basically, I know what you, what you should have been thinking is what the government is saying is that you should have been thinking you could have called the FBI agent. So he brings that up in court. Now, this is a matter of record. Well, the appellate court ran with <coughs> ran with the government's suggestion of what he said we sh- should have done or could have done, uh, and therefore, absent us doing that, we voluntarily testified. So, so... What you're, what you're getting here is that the Tenth Circuit, with no record, became clairvoyant. And based solely – now, what, what, this, is, this, this is the sad part. 
they literally read our minds and said what we were thinking with no record mm-hmm. because of what the government had suggested. So they pretty much said, yeah, what the government suggested was true. You could have called that witness. Therefore, uh, uh, you purposely didn't call that witness and voluntarily testified. They said that's what we were thinking. And what Judge, and, and they also concluded that what Judge Arguello uh, said was what she was thinking. They, they attributed the government's uh, suggestion to both the judge. They said the judge was thinking this, that you could have called the FBI agent and that we were thinking the same thing. Perp- we we knew about the FBI agent and we didn't call him on purpose and decided to voluntarily testify. So basically the appellate court became mind readers. They have they weren't there. They have no record of what happened. They have a suggestion by the government and they run with it. Hey, this this is what God, Judge Arguello meant when she told you to testify. And this is this is how you took even though Judge Arguello denied saying she said it, uh, this is what she meant when she told you to testify, and this is what you were thinking when she made that statement. And based on that, they concluded, affirmed our conviction, and didn't find anything wrong with what the court had done, that we had voluntarily testified oh. under those circumstances. If that's not outrageous, I don't know what is. Outrageous. And again, the appellate court agreed that there was a piece of the transcript missing. They said it's obvious. Well, that's sufficient enough to throw it out. Whether it's in large or it's in part, if the agreement is something is missing, because without a full record, you cannot rule in an appellate, appellate court cannot rule without dissecting the full record. So I don't care if there's a paragraph, if there's three sentences, if there's four words that can flip a conviction. If any of that transcript is missing, period, it has to be thrown out because the court is limited in its, in its view of what happened or what did, or what did not happen. Now, I'll, I'll read something. Uh, the Supreme Court, this, everybody talks about the Supreme Court, states that claims of government or judicial misconduct, uh, case in point, a constitutional violation of your Fourth Amendment right, cannot be fairly judged. This is without a verbatim transcript. Thank you. So, especially in matters of misconduct. Now, if you're missing where he says uh, they were talking about the dog or some little uh, statement that, that was immaterial, but this is a material statement, material to the misconduct of a judge, and prosecutor in violating rights, the Supreme Court said he can't, he can't ad- adequately determine, fairly determine what happened without a verba- verbatim, exactly what she said. We need to see exactly what she said, or the case needs to be overturned. They didn't do any of that. So this is the deal. Nobody abides by the law in this system. We talked about early on what happened during the raid. We talked about uh, that the government didn't prove his case. Now you, we're at the place where, where the court is denying what she said, won't produce a transcript. The appellate court agrees that, that she said what she said, even though she denies saying it. They weren't there either. And then claimed, claimed that, that, that this is how all of you guys perceive this stuff. 
this is this is sick. And also they can say they can protect Judge Arguelles. It doesn't matter. It's all about them and protecting them. Send you guys off to prison. Uh, it doesn't matter about your families. You have kids, your careers, jobs. Throw it all away. We have to save face for this judge. Well, my understanding here is that uh, the judge promised to produce the transcript. Is that correct? Yes. After the argument was raised that part of the transcript was missing, she said you would have it by the end of the day. Has that happened? No, it never happened. But, but that I, was stated? But ironically, when we came back, I came back early from lunch, and the court, her and the court reporter were in her chambers. Right after this incident happened, I said, well, I need to speak to the court reporter to provide the transcript. She's in the chambers with the judge. No transcript was ever. Now you go back to the fact that the court reporter never uh, said what she heard, never provided an affidavit. Same with the, with the government prosecutors. It's it's clear clear as day that it's just a cover up. And David, remember when uh, we questioned it right after lunch? Because I, I obviously remember that day very vividly. She started making uh, answering for the court reporter. So uh, I think you you had a question. So what, what's going? On? Well, she might have she might have had her uh, headphones on. Why? why well, you? well, first of all, yeah, she the judge actually said, well, she started making excuses. Right. Well, she didn't have the transcript. Maybe she didn't hear what happened, but. Throughout the trial, the court reporter would say if she couldn't hear, please speak up, and we'd have to repeat what we said. None of that happened at the sidebar. So right now, the judge has created, uh, manufactured this scenario that maybe her headphone fell off or something, and she didn't hear everything that was said. So every excuse in the book was made by why they didn't, they couldn't produce that transcript. Okay. Well, look, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This story continues, The Injustice, the RP5. This is AJC Radio. In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it, too, because some veterans are being left behind. Twenty of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America as compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over... 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown. 
and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. after being forgotten in a vehicle in 70 degree weather it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven at 104 degrees heat stroke begins followed by loss of consciousness it's about an hour and a half or so Kids in Cars. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, dealing with the injustice of the RP5 as this story continues, as we are now in trial, uh, dealing with the issue of the transcript situation. Judge Aguayo uh, having private huddles, if you will, with the court reporter uh, as it was raised that uh, that needed to actually be reviewed and there was an issue. Uh, promised the transcript to the guys, telling them, look, you'll have that by the end of the day. And from what I'm hearing now, the end of the day never came. That transcript was never produced. Um, this is criminal. Make no mistake about it. This is obstruction of justice by the federal judge in which this case has been presided over. Obstructing justice. This is what's happened. And in essence, it's conspiracy. To it is con- absolutely conspiracy with the government of the United States and her as a officer and a federal judge. Uh, this is something you can write better in Hollywood in any type of script uh, because it, doesn't, it does not seem real. It just simply does not. Simply is all. Well, I mean, honestly, it just seems like when it, when you boil down to the facts, it just, it's nothing but speculation and conjecture that got these guys convicted. There was no evidence. There was no nothing. And the fact of the matter is when you're omitting facts, as David alluded to earlier, you're omitting something that is a material piece of evidence to the guilt or innocence of every single person that is on trial at that time. So to, to be able to just remove that and then just walk walk away from the whole situation you know basically they washed their hands of it and now as we've been standing stating the entire show i mean it's nothing but a huge cover-up it is a huge you know gestapo racket of where i'm going to cover for you and we're going to cover each other all the way down the ladder so the fact is that no true justice could even come out of this case from the word go you know i mean as uh, i think somebody said earlier that she said this was a this is a criminal case from the word from the very beginning of the trial before everything even got started. So not only did she have it already made up in her mind that the IRP five was guilty, but it, she's also conveying that to everybody that was in there under the sound of her voice. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, as we pointed out through the entire show, there was nothing that these guys could have done, in my opinion, to tilt the scales back into their favor to where it would actually be a fair trial forget you know the fact of having them exonerated and being found innocent which is what they should have done they had so much going against them from the word go that i mean the inevitable ultimately happened they 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 created this scenario they fabricated it and they followed their plan to the letter to get these guys put in prison absolutely right uh dennis your thoughts further again like i said earlier you know, what do you do? Uh, you, 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 you try to bring witnesses. You you uh, you ask for tra- you ask for the transcripts. I mean, you do everything you're supposed to do. You pay. You do, and still, when you get the transcripts, you find out that the, the, the pieces that are pertinent to uh, what your claims are missing. And uh, no matter what you do, you, you, you show that it's missing. you got an appellate court that says, yes, I agree. And then they twist it and turn it around. I mean, ah, God, I, I, I relate to uh, just everybody, you know, looking at this case and saying, this is worse than a movie. I, I don't think a movie could have, have, have done this justice. Uh, because wow, how do you how do you have all the the information you need and 
deal. Oh, These men go to prison. Well, that, I, I don't get it. Well, that's how egregious the system is. Uh, Dave Zapolo, your thoughts? Well, one of the things we did find out going through this experience is that you can actually request of the court to be connected into the court reporter's computer so you're recording her typing on your own system so that this can't happen again. So oh, wow. when we found that out, it was like if we had only known that before, we would have had our computer at that table plugged into her system, and we would have had the transcript right in front of us. Wow. And this is something that people really need to know, that you can ask for that. And was that available during your trial? It would have been, yes. Obviously, we don't You didn't know it. Yep, yep. We did use it a couple of times at hearings after trial. Wow. Okay. All right, David, well, continue, please. And I, I, I said I'm a little... Obviously, I'm a little missed. I'm a little, actually, I'm a little upset right now because when yeah. you look back over the premeditation, the calculation by the by the court, by the appellate court, by the prosecutor, all joined together to ensure our conviction. It is a yep. very, very sick thing, but. It was, but it was like this throughout the entire uh, process, uh, throughout the raid, throughout the indictment, throughout the trial, to the appellate court. The abuse was pervasive and consistent, uh, and the unconstitutional conduct and the unethical conduct and the law breaking was. We saw it throughout the entire process, so. I don't care what I see on TV with what the what the government is doing in, in the big political stories. They're talking about the the Justice Department. This is the coin of the realm. It's just just the way it works. Yeah, and it's it's really tragic. From day one, this process was biased and against the RP five from day one. And you count the days that went off during this trial, the days in prison, all of the injustices suffered by these guys. It is the most horrific. There's no adjective that you can use that would express the outrage for such actions to go ignored when people are in positions of power to change it. This is what's disheartening to people, and this is every single day in courtrooms across this country, injustice is happening. And, and this may be a little off record, but I'll mention it today. Uh, there, and we're going to do a show on unequal justice. This was a clear poster child of unequal justice. Today we learned there was a guy that uh, buried 26 kids plus the bus driver alive 40 years ago. Buried them alive. The difference was they somehow made their ways out of those graves. And survive. Do you believe he is walking out of prison within a week or two? He is a free man. 40 years, but that is 26 counts of attempted murder. And it's beyond that. It is with children. But he, he's walking out. Need I tell you his race? Well, and I think uh, everybody's, for, everybody's for prison reform and criminal justice reform, but I think everybody consistently can agree on that if you engage in these type of violent acts, 
prison is the place for you unless it was brought on by some sort of uh, self-defense or something along those lines. But this, you don't even know what to say about the criminal justice system. There's just you don't no rhyme. One. Yeah, there's no rhyme to any reason about justice. For 40 years, I'm a, I'm a, you can just look. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna say what. Speak to the elephant in the room. This man is Caucasian. Had he been African American, I promise you, twenty-six counts of attempted murder. You're done. You die there. And I'm all for rehab and all this stuff. But the problem and the outrage is. How does this, this is what you're dealing with the police departments, with the county jails, African-Americans, minorities are treated differently? How do you walk out of prison? I can kill someone and in 20 years walk out. 20 years considered a life sentence at the state level. Do you know what that means? Do you have any idea what that means? But I can kidnap 26 kids. Plus the driver. That's 10 years per child. 10 years per. Plus I attempted to murder. There's no telling how many years you're going to get for that. What does that tell you? Unequal justice in this country. But back to David's point. Man. It's, it's, it, you know what I mean? It's one thing if you have, you can't really tell. You're kind of weighing this and that. No such thing in the RP5 case. Yes, I was just going to make a comment when you were talking about unequal justice with this individual. I don't remember the person's name, but we talked about it on the show. It was his third offense. Um, he was a African-American male, and it would have been minor stuff with theft. But his last crime was he sold a uh, rack of ribs that were $36, worth $36, and he got life in prison. He well, didn't kill anybody. He just sold some. That would happen right. frequently in California's three strikes law. Okay, so life in prison for some baby back ribs. Not only that, some people stole can't. Some people stole a candy bar I'm familiar and have got put in prison for the rest of their life. So look, African-Americans? Oh, yeah. And Kamala Harris, uh, while we're going that way, <laughs> was responsible for a lot of them in those sentences. So I don't say nothing about criminal justice. Uh, I'm sorry. She can't talk speak on criminal justice in my view. Yeah, unbelievable. Very uh, sad, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to tell you. Uh, this is very disheartening. Uh, so I bring that story up to say, look, I'm not optimistic. I'm just not. If somebody can give me a reason, we'll, listen, we'll take your call. You give me some statistics that tell me, look, you have every reason to believe that the forecast of the criminal justice system is looking a little sunnier in the next 5 to 10, 15 years. I'd love to hear from you. Well, actually, we actually had optimism. We thought you could go to court, provide evidence. We're even talking a little bit about the proffer as we close this out next week yeah. uh, that we submitted. And I also want to get into two things next week. One would be, obviously, the judge's uh, elimination of, of our star witness uh, that would have that proven to exonerate us, as well as some of the underpinnings of the government to uh, secretly pursue the pastor of a church as a part of this process. So, um, go ahead, David. 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll secretly pursue uh, a pastor. This is one of the theories that they hatched was to implicate or use a theory that uh, that we were somehow involved in money laundering to the church and they were going to go after the pastor of the church. This was an, another scheme that was uh, that was perpetrated by the government, quite frankly. It's, it went from one thing to another thing. And like I said, we were optimistic, but I'm telling you, the, the criminal justice is a, dark, is a dark stain. It's a very dark part of of of, of, the, uh, of the of the United States. Well, it's a dark place. Make no mistake about it. Um, to be in prison for something you didn't do in a world you know absolutely nothing about, and to be sentenced to such a living condition for eight years is uncomprehendable to me. Uncomprehendable to me. Ladies and gentlemen, we intend to definitely address this. Uh, again, we are we are coming up to the finishing line of the injustice suffered by the IRP-5. Uh, we are soon approaching that. Uh, I'm going to get some thoughts really quick, final thoughts about this show uh, right now. Um, Dennis, your thoughts? Baffling. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. And, and then to think, uh, and, and, and I got to mention this, uh, that Judge uh, Lee Serkin uh, actually uh, reached out to uh, uh, former President of the United States, uh, Barack Obama, and you would think that we would get something. I mean, it, I mean, there was no reply. There was nothing. And uh, it's just amazing how high these guys went for justice and did not get it. Clint, your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, having gone through this uh, as one of the IRP5, uh, it was just incredulous. You, you think, okay, they're not going to do this. How can they get away with this? And it's just happening right before your eyes, and you don't have any recourse. And it's like it's amazing. Uh, you know, things that they have little tricks that have big effects. Uh, the thing that Demetrius was talking about before, not allowing us to put into evidence, uh, you know, when we impeach the witness. And they just did it. No, you can't, can't let the jury see that. Got you. Dave Zappolo. When you look at this, you see that you walked in, we walked into the courts thinking justice is going to prevail. The truth will win out. And when we were convicted, you realize that truth doesn't matter. It's what the prosecution wants, what the court wants. That's where the result is going to be. Kendrick. I just think in closing that what people should do is be critical and don't just believe and trust everything they see. I mean, the the, the, the most shocking uh, issue with those cases, we didn't realize how bad the system was until you're suffering under it. And I think, and at that point, it's too late because you don't have a voice anymore. So I hope people that heard this show take it seriously that there needs to be serious change uh, in this legal system. And if not, I mean, it's just going to get worse. Without question. Demetrius, we'll close it with you. Yeah, to, to the point made earlier, they did it to the, a, a former president who was the IRP-5. 
And that's why we got to get our voice out there. That's why we continue. We won't shut up to uh, justice is served because it happened to, you know, whatever happened with uh, Mar-a-Lago. It, it, we, we witnessed this and we walked it for all these years. So, all righty. Well, ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio signing off tonight. Uh, tune in next Thursday as we approach the conclusion of the journey of the RP5 the, on the steps of injustice. And I'll tell you right now, you're troubled tonight. You've been troubled on the last several weeks of this show. I promise you, you're going to be troubled some more as we get to the conclusion, not only the conclusion, the sentencing that was outrageous in this case of gentlemen with no type of criminal record, no criminal history of any kind. And they were given a huge injustice, even in the sentencing, what we believe and know to be a wrongful conviction. So next time, America, this is Agency Radio signing off. Good night.